I'm Nikia Cheney. And I'm Cassidy Parong. And I'm Raina Shalise. And you're listening to Amplify, where we provide space to amplify the voices of students who have not been historically heard at Cabrillo. That would include Black, Chicano, Chicana, Latino, Latina, Indigenous, Asian, and any other group of students who feel marginalized on our campus. This podcast series was made possible by support from the Faculty Grants for Student Success, FGSS, and the Associated Students of Cabrillo College Grants, ASCC. If you want to join in this conversation or support our programs, please reach out. We'd love to hear your voice. Hello, everyone. This is Nakia Cheney. And Raina Shalise. <laughs> and we are bringing you another session of Amplify, our podcast for Black students and Cabrillo voices and social justice. And today we have Aubriana Drew Davis, one of the coolest students I know, who will be talking with us a little bit about um, some of her experiences at Cabrillo. Uh, and we're just going to kind of have a conversation. She's doing some, some really fun wonderful things. Um, so let's start. Abriana, how are you feeling today? How is how is it going? I am good on this beautiful Sunday. How are you guys? <laughs> good. Happy to be here with you. Oh yeah. oh yeah. Oh yeah. Now how long have you been a student at Cabrillo? Like what are you doing at Cabrillo? Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? This is my second year at Cabrillo, and I'm a kinesiology major, so I'm in that program and working to transfer to a four-year and be a physical therapist. Very good. Very good. Now, one of the things that I remember, because Arianna has been my student a couple times now, is how passionate you've been about issues of social justice. Um, one thing that Aubriana sent was this lovely, lovely speech about what we need to do. This was right during the, the George Floyd protest. No justice, no peace. Is feeling safe not a human right? Right at the, the hit of summer. And I was just blown away by some of the things that, that you were talking about, like, and some of the things that you wanted to see. Um, do you want to say anything about that, Aubriana? Yeah, so basically my speech was about America and racism in America and how we can either make it known or help it like aid all the problems we have. And the speech pulled information from my sociology classes about the workplace, about schooling, and really my the end of the speech was conclusion we need to spread knowledge of racism in America because some people simply don't know about it and others know about it and haven't taken charge but when you don't know about a problem you can't address the problem properly so I feel like taking African-American classes or having that available to the Cabrillo student is awesome and helps spread the knowledge. I love that I love that I love that and you're in a class, right? You're in a class now. What class are you taking now? Yes, I'm taking African-American studies from 1864 until now. 
and that is with Elise Banks. She's awesome, and we've been reading a bunch of different books. I have them with me. We read The Barracoon Story of the Last Black Cargo by Zora Neale Hurston, and we're going to start Between the World and Me by Tana Hesse Coates, which I'm excited about, but I actually don't know a lot about. White Rage, I've heard a lot about. This is what I'm going to end with, but I'm excited to read that one. And another one we read that I had never read before was Never Caught, the story of Ona Judge. And um, it's basically about the one of the only possibly slaves that got away from the Washingtons. And her story is awesome, great. Um, the story of The Last Black Cargo I, so far has touched me the most because it not only told about racism, but also about Africa and the culture in there. And the story is really awesome. And Zora keeps it in the language that he spoke more so. And I thought it was great. I did a, I started doing a audiobook for it on YouTube. So hopefully I can just keep on spreading books and knowledge for everybody. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. No, I love that. The owner judge, um, the owner judge book, like, you know, I mean, it's, we don't think of George Washington, right. Um, as a slave owner. And we don't think about the actions and some of the things that that he was doing. <laughs> we only think of him as like, oh, George Washington, he was one of our founders or whatnot. But um, uh, on a judge, that story, you really get an idea of like, they were slave owners and they were invested in having slaves. And he, he tried to find her, you know, they, you know what I mean? Like she escaped and they were like, we, you know, we're going to get you back. Right. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it, it's, it's amazing. Like, wow. It's crazy because like you said, we learn about George Washington in a totally different light. And I've been going to, well, now I go to Cabrillo, but I was going to private schools and they never, ever, in my elementary, I don't think I ever even knew that George Washington owned slaves. I just knew that slaves were a thing and that they had chains and shackles and that they were whipped. And that was basically what I knew about it. Mm -hmm. And you grow up and some of us grow up and still don't know, which is why we do these podcasts or posts and spread the knowledge of it. But you grow up and you don't know that, oh, this white male figure is actually racist and has all these holdings and abilities that we think are great but underneath it all it's like what America is built on racism and power and privilege that not everyone is getting mm -hmm. yeah yeah and he was the president this was this you know on a judges like she just left she just disappeared one day you know and you think of like the audacity of that and the strength of that but I hear exactly what you're saying like you need to have these figures to look at and to see how strong she was to just leave and go to a place she'd never been to before like you need those types of figures um yeah so especially in her circumstance like being black being a woman being in that time and as you said that is the president she had the guts the courage and just life to want more for herself and in the book I believe her dad her dad um don't know how her dad and her mom got together historically they say he, they could have 
the dad could have raped her possibly or it could have been love either way the dad left the mom and the other kids they had together so I think that from the beginning Ona just had a sense of okay freedom is what we need and I'm gonna do what it takes to get freedom because my dad left and he did what it took to get his freedom I think that was awesome part of it oh yeah and it pushes back against this idea that slaves are just you know they just dealt with the situation right that they didn't that they were just slaves and they didn't think about freedom or desire freedom or want freedom or realize their circumstances and actively try to change their circumstances so yeah I'm, I'm so happy that that you're reading that book or you read that book in that class and then the other one and I know you got excited about that one the Zora Neale Hurston you learned about Zora Neale Hurston who is amazing um, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, this book was awesome. She basically, she talks about Kasula and the story of the last black cargo. She is talking about like the transatlantic journey and all the slavery, but she goes to him after he's come, you know, from Africa, she goes to him and she's so patient. She does little interviews with him every day, but it's not like, oh, oh, what's the information? She like creates a relationship with him and she's like, oh, can I help you in your garden? Can I do this? And just obtains all this information that is so pure coming from him. So I'm glad that she wrote Kasula's words in like, I'll read an example. Let's see. Um, We're talking about Barracoon. This is, this is Zora Neale Hurston's book, um, Barracoon, the story of the last slave. Um, it, it's it's so fascinating because Zora Neale Hurston was a, a poet, a playwright. She was a creative writer. She was an artist, but she was also an anthropologist on top of that. She actually took the time to go out and study culture and to study people. Um, and and Kasua was someone that she wanted to you know, interview and talk to because he was a slave at that time. And it, it, it's just a fascinating, fascinating glimpse into who she is, but also into her subject, this person that she's studying. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a really cool story. It's really cool. It's awesome. And um, in one part of the book, I actually wrote about it a little bit. They were speaking of Cujo's grandfather's death and kind of just the culture on how they bury and whatnot. And Cujo says, they bury him right away so no enemy come look down in his face and do his spirit harm. They bury him in the house, they dig him up, they clay for the clay for and bury him, we say in the Afiki soil. We live with you while you're alive. How come we can't live with you after you die? And I thought that was a really cool part of African culture that they actually bury him in the house. And for us, it's like, okay, um, husband, wife, maybe buried together in the same cemetery. No, they're like, why would you not live with me still after death? And I thought that was just a cool part. Oh, yeah, it is. I, I love that. I, I love that. I love that. I do. I do. And then you learn about, you get a chance to learn about, you know, some of these things. And it, and it was true. Like, he didn't, he didn't, what always struck me about that story is that he, it wasn't like she went and just did an interview, right? She'd go and talk to him a little bit and he might just work that day and not say very much. And then she'd have mm -hmm. to come back 
back and you know what I mean like yeah. she'd come yeah. back and she'd have to like you know what I like it, I just thought it was so cool that they actually created like a relationship with each other like over this period that they were talking like for him it was I'm going to tell you the stories but I'm going to tell you the stories little by little I'm not going to mm-hmm. you know I just thought I just thought it was just such a beautiful exactly I was going to say beautiful he was like oh come back tomorrow I'll have <laughs> yeah on Sunday and we can do this it was so beautiful and I want to find more texts like this which I'm happy um Cabrillo offers African-American culture because I wouldn't have even read this book Mm -hmm. and I want to find more books like this so if they have more programs eventually at Cabrillo or different types of African classes that would be awesome yeah right now we're we're thinking about doing um we've been pushing for an ethnic studies department uh here at cabrillo that's something we've that's awesome and ethnic studies is it's studies of four particular racial groups in america Um, that's one of the things that we've been talking about people don't really understand what's ethnic studies what is ethnic studies well right now some of the laws you have to have ethnic studies at the high school level right And then we have some other laws that are saying, hey, we need to have ethnic studies at the community college level before we get to the CSUs and before we get to the the UCs. And we don't have that. We don't have an ethnic studies department currently at Cabrillo. So a class um, like African-American history uh, would be in the field of ethnic studies. Um, A class like Asian-American art and culture would be in the field of ethnic studies. Native American literature, that would be in the field of ethnic studies. And so it's always nice to hear from students who are saying, I didn't learn about this in high school. I didn't know about these things before. You get to college and then you learn something completely different. Like how does that, how does that change? How does that affect you or change what you think about some of this, these subjects? When I hit college, I um, I obviously had a big love for it and everything I was learning, but I also grew very frustrated and angry because, like you said, we missed out on, or some people don't even learn it in high school, and that goes for a lot of not only African culture, but ethnic studies. They don't really implement it in our text. They don't implement it in our history. And I think that even though text would be awesome to have in English or this, that, I think a history class, they they can do a lot more than what they have done. But college experience, learning a new text, I have loved it. And it just makes me more passionate about wanting to spread it because some people like won't even go to college. And I think it's important to help everybody just know the knowledge because African history is American history. Yeah, it is. It absolutely is. I want to invite Raina into this conversation because we've been just going, you bring up <laughs> books and I'm, you know, when you start talking, I'm an English teacher, right? When you start talking books, I'm like, oh, yes. like, no, you, know, you know, I'm gonna, you know, you know, you know, so I want to invite Raina into this conversation. Yeah, I just, it's honestly, it's a, it's a real privilege to be able to just listen to this entire exchange and listen to how you, Abriana, are really becoming an advocate and becoming this powerful, empowered learner 
that is really seeking to make the invisible visible. And I think in doing this and us having this conversation and listening to your speech that you shared with us, I'm just, I'm, I'm overjoyed because honestly coming from communication studies as a field, we firmly believe and know that our everyday communication actions can transform injustice, right? It's this like this layered process over time that's creating our shared reality. It's through our everyday communication that we can either perpetuate, like you were saying, these inequitable, unjust structures, or we can start to change that through speaking up, through making sure others can also speak up, through inviting more voices into the conversation. So I just want to say that this has been such a joy to be on mute and just listen to because this is really my hope as a communication educator is to offer a space where our students can feel empowered to speak their truth mm. and to push back right and to speak truth to power and say these are the things that have been historically overlooked these mm. are the voices and the histories and the truths that have been silenced for too long and so I'm just thrilled to be here. And that's my two cents right now. <laughs> yeah, I love that you said um, communication is a big part of it because I feel like the lack of communication will cut down the knowledge that we are trying to obtain or spread. So if we communicate more, either more properly or in the right ways, it'll be very empowering. And also this, just having this podcast right here is already a million steps ahead of where we were 200 years ago. So I think it's important, even though when there's so many bad things, just to see this and like you said, see how beautiful and, and empowering it is. Because for me, it's awesome that you can tell, oh, here's a black student and a colored teacher, you know, and they can share their information together just having that is amazing because some schools still don't have that. That's true. That's true. But as long as I've known Ariana, you know, I've just been really proud of how passionate that you've been about these subjects and about these ideas, you know, and it's, it's just been, I, I loved fostering that, you know, a little bit because we did talk about, you know, wanting to see Black students at Cabrillo and wanting to have Black teachers at Cabrillo and wanting to have, you know, more of this information and even looking at, you know, other races, Asian studies, um, Native American studies, you know, um, Latinx studies, like we talked about wanting those things and needing those, you know, needing that academically on campus to kind of make a, a better student. And I always feel like you're, you're, you're a, um, a manifestation of that in a lot of ways, Aubriana, because you've, you're just, you just go, you're just sucking that knowledge in and you're just running with it, you know? So I'm, I'm just really proud of you in that regards and, and honored that you, you'd want to come talk to us and share, share yeah. some of this stuff. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Anything you. else you want to talk about though? Any, what are you going on to do? Okay. Kinesthesiology. Are you, have you start looking at like the colleges that you're going to apply to next? Um, yeah, I was looking at San Francisco University because they have pre-physical therapy. First, I have to finish my kinesiology AA and then take a few more bio or chemistry classes and then be allowed into that class. 
And there's a few other schools, but um, you have to be specific for the pre-physical therapy because then you have to go to the physical therapy, which is a lot of work about maybe seven or eight years now. They keep on adding it on, but I love it because the base of kinesiology can spread into athletic training or physical therapy, or you can be a PE teacher, that type of stuff. So I'm excited. I love the movement of the body and the way the brain works. Ooh, very cool. That is so cool. Very cool. Very I love that. <laughs> oh, and then one more thing. We also were reading, um, we talked about this yesterday, I believe we read the green book and I thought that was an awesome one to just read and see that well, the green book was for like the African or black people travel guide basically when there was no not everywhere was safe for us and it was awesome to see that they set up their own little community and where to go where not to go but I hadn't even known what the green book was until a year or two ago I've heard of it but nothing else so that was a cool one to learn about as well oh no like um I know there's a show that actually kind of high, like illustrates what the green book did it's called lovecraft country yes um, i watched that whole show wasn't it good though but yeah but uh in the beginning he, he's a travel guide and he's creating a guide that can help black people who are traveling know safe places to go um where they should go and this was really really important back in the past because without it you know racism was so prevalent and lynching and things like that, that there had to be like a way to make safe passage. If I'm going to drive from New York to California, you know, where can I stop off and get gas? Where, you know, what's a, sun, a sundown town? You know, those towns that you can't be caught in out after the sun goes down. Yeah. You know, this, is, this is life or death. So it's, it's, it's really cool that you guys learned about that. I think you also learned about um, cause I have a student of mine who's in that class. He's in my literature class, but he's also taking in history class. And he said something about redlining, um, and about housing, uh, about, um, oh gosh, where, you know, where the, ha where they devalued. Where like African American people are living. Yeah. It's crazy because I learned this one a little more in sociology than I did in African-American history, but it's like one, they want everyone segregated and there's basically this white curtain in the area that they want, you know, white people to stay in. That's more expensive. Our house is less expensive. And when you try to move into the other area, you'll either move in and just be ridiculously just hated on like, you remember in Lovecraft, Lovecraft Country how they're just throwing things at the house and everyone's outside trying to be intimidating, you know, with weapons, this and that. And that stuff is real. And that yeah. stuff actually still happens to this day. And some people are legally allowed to not sell to colored people if they don't want to, which yeah. is crazy how some of that is still instilled. Other places, no, but it is still here, definitely. And um if they weren't driven out of that place, the African-Americans who have come within that white curtain, then people kind of started to move out. And then eventually that whole area starts to devalue and they just kind of want their own place. They want to stay segregated. But yeah, it's sad that 
it was very very big back then but it's still here for sure oh yeah oh yeah and and the thing is it's the connection that you make like learning this stuff in a history class as to understanding why things look the way they look now because that that stereotypical thought is oh no you know they want their neighborhoods to look like this and you know they trash their neighborhoods and you know that stereotypical thought um but you have to go back in time and then you understand that racism made it look like this yes it, it made, made prisons look like this that's why it's 60 percent filled with african-americans because of convict leasing systems because of this huge historical presence in the past and it's hard you know where are you going to learn that information if you're not taking some of these classes right exactly and it's so frustrating because you know, I'm black and I'm white. And so when I go visit my white side of the family, if we ever get into these topics, it gets very heated or they just don't understand. So making them understand is really hard. And it's a personal thing that I have been struggling with, especially this last year, like a lot, a lot. It's hard to make someone in your family understand when they don't understand, but then it makes you want to work that much harder. So that's why I advocate so harshly on spread the knowledge of racism because some people do not get it as you're saying people think oh they want to live like that or the way their community set up but little do they know no we're not giving the same grocery stores in the slums we're not giving the same opportunities you know there's more cigarette advertisements there's more violence but we have a lot less opportunity because of what we were given if you go back all the way back we're taken from our homeland and then we are slaves. And then eventually we're allowed to leave and buy our own land, but what land and where are we allowed? And then once we get that land, it's like, okay, we have this these small resources to build these little slums and whatnot and ghettos. And oh, I could speak on a million different <laughs> things for that because there's so many little parts in there. There's so many little parts that people don't get. Like someone in my family, they literally said, um, oh, well, like they can just work harder, like for as far as jobs and whatnot. It's like, no, we're not given the same opportunity. In my sociology class, there was a reading and it was um, a Mexican man. And he was saying, I don't even feel comfortable going to the job interview because I don't know if I have the right clothes. It's like, okay, he, first of all, doesn't have the right clothes, probably because of how America has treated him and he feels he might not get a job just because of those clothings. It's hard. It's hard to start at the bottom and people expect you to be at the top. It's different. Exactly. You know, you're, you're absolutely right about that. And then, I mean, like even from where you start, you know, like even from, you know, I'm able to go to college because my parents live in a house that they got from their parents who, you know, who were able to buy this, you know, during, you know, the new deal or whatnot. And now I have this support, whereas you go to another family, right? And it's like, I'm not able to go to college because I'm paying all this money in rent. My family doesn't own a house from directly from relating to some of these laws of redlining. And now it's that much harder for me to get ahead. Now I'm spending all my time working at someplace like Amazon, you know, which is like, you know, slaving me or whatnot. And I can't, 
succeed in class. I can, you know, get to, to the next step that I, you have to just have this extraordinary effort to get to something that someone doesn't have to put all that effort and energy into. And, and it, it's, it's a, it's a problem that we have, you know, in the way that we see this and the way that we understand this, right. Right. So it's necessary. I just think it's necessary. And it's our job as educators to make sure that you are seeing some of these historical things and, and connecting them to the reasons why things are the way they are, you know, and talking about them and sharing them with other people. So that's, that's really cool. <laughs> uh, Rihanna's off and gone. She's like, I know, I, I see it. I know it. <laughs> so any last things you want to say, anything you want to leave other students with, um, anything you want to just say about this? I'm so proud of you. Oh my God. You're one of my favorite students. I'm so proud of you, Rihanna. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me to do this. And Nothing really to say besides what I've been saying the whole time. If you don't know about racism or the oppression of colored people in total in America, go out, learn about it, like teach yourself or take a class. And once you have that knowledge and understanding, just spread it as much as you can, whether it's a conversation with a friend or family, social media, the spread of knowledge is the beginning of power for us. It's a lot. But when we see all on Instagram, on social media, I just want to say this for all of the people out there. It's so hard lately seeing this constant oppression, oppression. This person got killed. This person got killed. It's really mentally. It hurts. It hurts a lot. It makes me angry. It makes me sad. And I know that a million other people are out there feeling like it. When we feel these feelings, we cannot just sit on them. Because we feel these, we need to go and act out on them because change will not happen unless we go and act on that. But also, though there are a lot of bad things going on, there is change being made. So this podcast alone is an example of that. And yeah, I hope everybody goes out and changes the world. You will. <laughs> you already are. All right. So we've been listening to um, me and Ariana just took the whole spotlight right now. I'm so sorry, but we've been listening you to me. It's about time. <laughs> you know, I'm happy to be muted. Yeah, no, but we, you know, and it's, it's exciting. It's really good to talk to students who are passionate yes. about these things. We've been listening to Amplify. Um, this is our student podcast at Cabrillo. We're amplifying Black student voices, issues of social justice, and things that are happening on campus. We're with Raina Shalise, Aubriana mm -hmm. Davis, and Nakia Cheney. So thank you so much, Aubriana. I really, really appreciate it. So I'll be in touch, my dear. Um, but again, go out there and fly. You know, that's all I say to my students. Go out there into the world and fly. Right. Look at you. Go and go. <laughs> thank you. All right. All right. Thanks, Arianna. <laughs> okay. Thank you for tuning in to Amplify, a podcast series for historically unheard Cabrillo students. You can join us by emailing Raina Chalice at R-A-C-H-E-L-I-S at cabrillo.edu 
or me, Nikia Cheney, at N-I-C-H-A-N-E-Y at cabrillo.edu, or even texting 951-254-3651, or visiting our website at podcastforcabrillo.wordpress.com. And amplify your own voice, too. 